Rowan, as you know, I just got back from a trip abroad to none other than Portugal. You did? Tracy, where did you travel to? (laughs) Okay. My poor friends, Rowan included, have not heard me shut up about Portugal because it was so beautiful and so amazing and so fun. And I met like two Portuguese historians and a Swiss historian and they were really, it was so fun. That's insane. I know. I never want you to shut up about this trip. (laughs) So for me, my favorite part of the trip, one of them, one of the very, very top, was we went to a place called Coimbra, which is this university city. And the University of Coimbra is the oldest continuously used university in Portugal and one of the oldest in Europe. What? Yeah, people still study there. It's this beautiful castle from, oh, I think it was the early 14th century, or at least I know a lot of the books we were looking at were from the 14th to the 16th century. Do they wear robes? Yes. Still, to this day? Yes. Wait, are you kidding me? No, I'm not. They look like little Harry Potter students. It's part of what inspired J.K. Rowling. Stop it. I was kidding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You see all the students walking around in their black robes. And are they university age? Yeah. Or are they like younger? University. Why would they be younger? (laughs) (laughs) I just instantly, I was like, okay, now they're 12. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're they're university aged. Um, They, it, oh, it was so cool. And we got to go into their, their, there's this old library that is designed to look kind of like the inside of a chapel. It's all Baroque. So it's all gilded and it's very long. And it, but instead of at the head of the what would be kind of the altar, it's a picture of the guy who created the library. It's But you can only be inside of it for 10 minutes at a time because they're so careful about temperature control, lighting control, and keeping the books safe because it's filled with like 60,000 books. Your mere existence is going to mess up these books. Yes. Do you want to know the best part of this library? This is what Casey came up and she's like, I found out a fact just from, from me, Tracy. They used to have bats in the library to protect the books. What? What? They would eat all the little creatures that were coming after the books. So this giant, huge, tall library had all these gorgeous books, Baroque architecture with gilding everywhere. And at the very top of this tall, big room was bats. They kept bats on staff to eat bugs that eat books? Yes! <laughs> yes! This is why it was my favorite place we went. <laughs> That's amazing. Tracy, have we looked at pictures of this library for inspiration for our story without knowing it? It's quite possible. Because like, we've pulled a few library pictures. I'm going to pull up a picture for you right now for you to de- describe to everyone. Okay. Oh my goodness. I never want to leave that library. Right? How did you leave that library? They forced me out. I was only allowed in there for 10 minutes. In the whole library? In this, yeah, in this particular section. There's an earlier section that anyone can go in that's got about 20,000 books that you can explore and look around. But this particular room, which is their big gilded multi-story book ladder of your dreams, your bell, this is where the beast took you to his library room. Well, I recently learned that... Buildings that have that many books have to have very specific foundations because they're so heavy with all those books. I didn't know that before. And then I saw a Zillow listing for a mansion (laughs) that had so many books that they had a special architectural whatever. So imagine this library like with the force of knowledge sinking into the earth just like millimeter by millimeter. And they only let you be in there for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's not enough minutes. It's not enough minutes. I want to rearrange my entire life so I can be a researcher who gets permission to actually go in there and explore the books. I know. And we do research all the time. And I still think they'd be like, mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Plus, I don't read Portuguese, so I wouldn't actually get to enjoy the books themselves. But the room I could live in. So this room is all... Like rich, dark wood, pillars, books upon books. It looks like the back of the bookshelves might be painted with like a green or a teal. Or maybe that's just in so many of the books in the place that I'm looking. There are desks on the lower floor, a literal red carpet. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And then on the ceiling, there's just gold, beautiful filigree. And there's people who are smarter than I'll ever be, even though they're (laughs) fake and they're all looking down upon you as you study the universe. And it is 
even in this small, what, like four inch by four inch picture, it's a bit daunting. Yes. It's meant to resemble a chapel, and I think you get that feeling. Where do the bats go? Very top. Where, okay, logistics, where does the bat poop go? I don't know. I I only heard about the bat fact because Casey was like, oh, okay, it's a library. That's fine. Tracy's very excited and kind of wandered around and then came back to me and was like, good news. I learned a bat fact for you. (laughs) (laughs) Like the other day when I sent you a bat video and you're like, I am proud to say I think five people had sent you that same bat video. Your mom did? No. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Your mom was the first one. So too slow. Um, <laughs> I think two different people in the Discord, and then Casey, and then you. I mean, you were you weren't the last one to send it to me. No, you might have been. No, I mean, I think I was. You might have been. It, I think you were. Wow, I'm just a sad knockoff of my mother. <laughs> Aren't we all though? Hi, I'm Rowan Hall, and I'm a sad knockoff of my mommy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tracy Harrison, and I'm a nerdy knockoff of my cool mom. <laughs> And this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Every week, we research a topic from history or mythology. Then we write an original story to go along with that topic. So, if you'd like to support this podcast, consider ordering some of our very cool, very nerdy, very fun merch. You can find awesome designs of our logo, We Get It, Your Goth, drink whiskey and rant about history and more on our website, willingandfable.com. Oh, wait. When you said the bat fact, I could have gone, we get it, you're goth. And I just (gasps) didn't. You were too excited. (laughs) You were so in it with me. (laughs) There wasn't room for for gentle mockery. Retcon, retcon, we get it, you're goth. Just put the paste that in (laughs) awkwardly. Tyler, just just clip that in. Make it sound out of place. (laughs) (laughs) You can also support the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash willingandfable, or you can tell your mommy about us. (laughs) Or you can pull your favorite book off the shelf, throw it in your bag, and lend it to a friend next time you meet up for coffee, thus ensuring exciting future conversations as they come across all your favorite moments and show you new ones for you to love. But treat it like a TV show. Just be right next to them, staring at them when the good moments are coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. your nose like in their face as they're trying to just read. This episode is so on topic, on brand. It's libraries, libraries, and only libraries. That's actually the new name of our podcast. Library and library. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's our tagline, willing and fable, library, library, and only libraries. Well, yeah. Normally on posts and stuff, it's history, mystery, and mythology. So it can just be library, library, and library. Wait, is she smart enough to pull this off in real time? Literature? Books, libraries, and literature. Mm. Uh, libraries, literature, and lore. <gasps> oh, she's smart enough to pull it off in real time. Look at her go. It was a team effort. You got the first two. I just took it in for the last bit. I aspire to always have the shabby first idea that you can turn <laughs> into something real. <laughs> and that's called teamwork and friendship. <laughs> oh my gosh. Really quickly, before we dive into more library, we got to talk about Greenleaf Geek. You know, we both have custom handmade resin dice from Leah at Greenleaf Geek. Perhaps most cool of all, she designed two special sets for Thea and Rosalind for us to play with to go along with the fictional story of the Wizard and the Rogue. It was such a cool process working with her. We got on live for a Zoom call, and when I tell you this gal just pulled out glitter, just glitter on glitter on glitter and library glitter. Glitter on glitter on on gold flakes and silver flakes and knickknacks to put into things. And She put a different knickknack in every single one of your Thea dice. Yeah, she did. Yes. Oh, yeah, there's keys and skulls, and she hand-painted a spell book that's inside of the D20. 
And she specially sourced little red roses to put in my Rosalind dice. And then she let me pick if I wanted the sharp dice or the not sharp dice. And I was like, daggers, baby, all the way. (laughs) You always want sharp. So we are over the moon getting to have custom dice. There is just something about being at a table. It's it's such a like wholesome flex when you pull out your dice and then everyone around you goes, ooh, shiny math rocks. Oh, yes. We played D&D last night and my Thea D20 was the dice of the night. It was the only one rolling well for us. <laughs> and I didn't get to roll that dice because I'm across the country. So I was playing badly. So if you want to play well... Check out Greenleaf Geek. Leah makes custom handmade resin dice. She also stocks the most beautiful curated dice and everything you could possibly need for your geeky adventures. Head over to greenleafgeek.com to book your commission or find Leah at Greenleaf Geek on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to use the code FABLE, that's F-A-B-L-E, for 10% off your order. Some restrictions apply. Hey, you want to go to a fictional library together? Always. (laughs) Y'all, it's my turn. We've been in this library for a minute, Mm -hmm. and I don't want anyone sitting there thinking that it's because Tracy and I love libraries so much, because that would be absurd. That would just be ridiculous. (laughs) There's, you can't prove it. You can't prove that we like libraries. There's no evidence. Not a bit. (laughs) Rewinds like a minute into this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't gotten to the point yet, though, where people like clip us back at us. Mm, No, not yet. Not yet. And I think maybe it's because it's a purely audio medium. You just don't have as much satisfaction of someone's own face playing at them saying a thing. Hmm. Now you're making your it's so tempting to like, hmm. Watch. Tracy's gonna be the person who clips us back at us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Tracy builds custom memes for the D D campaigns that she's in. And no, Casey is the one who really does that. Okay, well, today you sent us normal run-of-the-mill memes, which yes. was fine. But I need I need you to meme us the way mm-hmm. you meme our characters. <laughs> Okay, okay, I can do that. Between between me and Casey, Casey's the meme queen. So I'll get her expertise on it and then I'll make some. Or you guys can send us memes, you know, at Willie and Fable all on the internet or on our Discord. Ooh, nice plug. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in a library. Yes. Oh, actually, I get to talk about the history of said library. So you know what? Let's just dive right into it. Mm-hmm. We're going to we're going to jump in. It's a historic and beautiful fictional library. Chapter 8. About 300 years ago, when the Lacera School for Noble Magic was but a collection of blueprints upon the desks of the city's most rich and powerful wizards, there was a meeting. And in this meeting, while drinking fine whiskey and smoking fat cigars, one of the rich and powerful wizards had a brilliant idea. To truly express the grandeur of their library, to which he and another wizard had kindly donated and was currently under construction, there must be a grand structure celebrating their aspirations. They were, after all, magicians who sought to conquer the very heavens. It was only right that they memorialized their lofty goals with a feat of modern construction that matched the wondrous magic that would soon take place within the school's very walls. So it was that the library at Lacera got the massive golden orrery that occupied the attention of nearly every person who entered. In the subsequent meetings, the gathering of men designed and redesigned the miraculous structure. Servants brought rolls upon rolls of wide, thick paper, and the finest craftsmen were hired to consult on the construction. It must be both bold and delicate, one man shouted, excitedly slamming his whiskey snifter on the table. This was not his first glass, after all. We must somehow capture both... The physical and the metaphysical, 
Another added, encouraged by his fellow's enthusiasm to get increasingly poetic with each suggestion. He'd already sketched a few ideas that were now lying in crumples under their feet. The design took weeks, with much of that time spent arguing over whether the orrery would be balanced on a plinth as the focal point in the library's rotunda, or, unlike any such sculpture they'd seen before, they might be able to suspend it from above. After much arguing and patting on the back, it was decided that, Of course it would be suspended from above. How else could one possibly capture the very heavens within the bounds of a library? (laughs) Watch Silpole's new school manage that, growled a particularly well-dressed wizard. With a smirk, one man added, Besides, soon we'll have an army of sniveling brats running around. If it were on the ground, we'd hardly be able to keep them from climbing on the damn thing. The room of magicians and designers laughed, and servants brought out yet another round of drinks, clearing away the blueprints and filling the table with fine foods imported and delivered just this morning. That magician would be rolling over in his grave if he saw what Rosalind was up to now. With loud guards clattering up and down the aisles of books, Rosalind melted into the darkest corner she could find. If Thea was still where she left her, it would take a miracle to get back unnoticed. If Thea was captured by the guards, Rosalind doubted very highly that she would have the opportunity to break the other girl from prison for a second time before she was tried and hanged in time for the evening post. Now was a time for cleverness, and Rosalind, tired and hungry and trapped in what could become a decades-long blood oath, felt fresh out. Whatever she did, it was going to have to be a big distraction, very big, which meant the orrery looming overhead was the best bet. She didn't allow herself time to think. Checking that the coast was clear, Rosalind turned to the nearest candelabra, of which there seemed to be entirely too many for such a highly flammable collection of books, and pushed it over with a loud clatter. As a small group of guards ran toward her, she ran deeper into the stacks in the opposite direction. That distraction would keep them occupied only long enough for her to get off the ground. When it seemed she'd gone enough of a distance away, the assassin quickly scaled a bookshelf and rolled on top of the massive wooden structure. In this position, she looked up at the orrery in much the same way someone lying in a meadow might look up at the stars. But there was something about the looming and increasingly likely case of her death that ruled out library stargazing as a leisure time activity. When she'd first looked up at the sculpture, Rosalind hadn't realized that the orrery was suspended above her, each turning piece hanging like a massive, twisting mobile of celestial bodies. From down below, it had appeared as if the golden figure of a wizard, bedecked in robes with the Lacera coat of arms, was balancing the entire sphere on one outstretched finger, each point of golden rotation held aloft by one small dot of welding. Rosalind thought that there might have been some magic involved in the balancing act, but had nevertheless begun concocting a plan to knock the entire thing over. But from this higher vantage point, she could see that, in fact, It was all hanging from the impossibly distant ceiling by one narrow chain, which was either incredible hubris on the part of the designers, or, again, the wizards knew something about magically reinforced balance that she did not. Rosalind assumed it was the latter, and she was proud to say she was prepared for this situation. Between the column of books, there were massive windows that stretched from floor to ceiling, the afternoon light from which made the dust moat shine in the air like a magical glimmer of higher knowledge. Rosalind absolutely hated it. As she inched along the top of the bookshelves, crawling on her belly in a most unattractive way, she was getting covered in the thick, fluffy dust that comes from years of neglect. Surely wizards have ways of taking care of this, Rosalind growled. 
The shouts of guards below meant she needed to hurry her pace or Thea would be caught before you could say Lacera School. She kept her eyes on the orrery as she made her way to where the bookcase met the exterior wall, which was also a bookcase. Truly, these wizards had built Rosalind a building of ladders. She leaned her head over the edge of her perch just in time to see a guard hustling below her. Oh, if she had a dagger. As the assassin did not have her usual menagerie of weapons, Rosalind simply sighed with a roll onto her back again. As the movement covered Rosalind in dust, including her mass of curls, she just about felt her heart break at the thought of cleaning that mess up, but she put the thought out of her mind and took a deep breath. Rosalind flexed and rolled her fingers, flashing the collection of rings she wore. The most important of these was a massive one sitting on the middle finger of her right hand. A large garnet, or perhaps colored glass, was sharpened into a lethal point, like a claw jutting directly from her fist. It was but one of the things that made Rosalind's right hook particularly punishing. Moving with swift, practiced motions, Rosalind took her ring and scraped a deep, twisting shape into her forearm. She didn't even need to watch her work. She'd drawn the sigil so many times. The gash was surprisingly deep, and she wiped off the well of blood, continuing the gesture of her hand to pass over her face. It was almost a small sort of dance move, the way she gracefully flicked her wrist when she passed over her head. If one of the city guards had chanced to look at the high bookshelf, they would have believed they'd imagined things. In one moment, the blonde woman was reclining on the shelf, in the next, the shadow from the afternoon sun left only inky, black obscurity. Rosalind finally stood, stretching her long limbs and pantomiming a dramatic yawn. All right, then, Rosalind said under her breath, and she cast a glance up at the orrery before beginning her climb up the shadowy bookshelf. It was more difficult than she anticipated to scale the rows of books without causing them to fall. Years of practice allowed her to follow the track of shadows cast by the orrery in the fading light, but if one of the infernal books fell, it would ruin the illusion. Between one reach and the next, Rosalind rolled the fingers of her right hand, feeling the edges of her veil bend and flex in the glimmering shadows. As long as she did not attract attention, and no person made an effort to look for her scaling the wall, the illusion would hold. She caught a small book as it began to fall. If a book, untold stories up, fell to the ground with no apparent cause, people would look. By now, Rosalind would have guessed she was more than a few stories in the air, but the optical illusion of the many shelves confused her depth perception in a most nauseating way. She'd spent quite a lot of time scaling various structures and buildings, as an assassin who regularly snuck into very well-fortified buildings, climbing was part of the deal. Climbing up loosely stored books made this task somewhat more difficult. The orrery looked better from above. When Rosalind finally stopped high enough now to appraise it, she marveled at the structure. Unlike the shelves, there was not a speck of dust on the saint's becursed thing. It shone an impossible gold, and each celestial body was balanced on an arm or wire that looked entirely too small for such a thing. It was in constant motion. Massive golden rings orbited the exterior, spinning left and right and up and down. They looked as if they were inscribed with complex sigils. Mm, no, it wasn't the same magic Rosalind was familiar with. This language was all narrow lines meeting numbers and diagrams to create large, complex pictures. This was the work of a quill. Hers was the work of a blade. Within the outer rings, there were dozens upon dozens of hanging orbs and shapes of all sizes. She thought she recognized a few patterns of stars, but it was just as likely that, looking at the massive mobile, she had just imagined she was more educated than she was. Clever trick, that. It was going to be a long 
jump down to land at the central chain, and even then the chances of it being able to support her weight were slim. If there was magic balancing the structure, even the slightest change could throw it out of balance. But the guards below were becoming increasingly raucous, and now students were scurrying out of the library in small, grumbling groups. Not wasting another second, Rosalind looked down at the gold chain and pushed herself off the high shelf. The girl shimmered into existence as she fell through the slanting sunshine streaming down from above. Like a cloak pulled off as she moved, the shadows melted away while she prepared to land as gracefully and precisely as she could possibly manage. Landing atop the orb with a clatter, she grabbed the chain, her rings jangling the metal and affecting her grip. She looped her fingers through the massive links of the chain as her landing caused the orrery to swing more widely than she'd anticipated. Without looking down, Rosalind knew the guards could see her and were preparing to take action. Their shouts had grown louder, filled with angry surprise, but the dexterous assassin didn't have time to think about their shock. If she was going to increase the shock value per her brilliant plan, first, she had to stay on the accursed mobile. With a groan, she pulled herself up to stand on the central ring that connected to the chain. It was the widest place to balance, which was to say, not very wide at all. Feeling very much like a child on a rope swing, Rosalind white-knuckled the chain as she bent down to pull Thea's spoon from her boot. With a grin, she said, Let's give these fools their just dessert, shall we? Truly, even when destroying a grand and beautiful library, it really was the little things that kept her going. Rosalind let out a long breath while she took the spoon and scooped it into her pocket. Out came a fine powder, sickly green like rotting vegetables. It smelled like char and sour milk with a hint of something sweet Rosalind couldn't name. She took another deep, slow breath, balancing the spoon so that not a granule fell before she began pouring it out around the base of the chain. Scoop by careful scoop, she piled the powder like a child's castle on the shore. Perhaps Rosalind could have touched the powder with her hands rather than behaving so cautiously with the spoon. She recalled the way that Thea had knocked this chemical with another, causing the startling explosion within her already destroyed apartment. At the time, Thea blushed a bright scarlet and kept puttering, as if there wasn't a smoldering crater in the table before her. Rosalind grinned at the memory. How could she pass up such an incredibly useful tool? As Thea kept packing, the assassin used her spoon to quickly scoop the first powder into one pocket and the second into another. She liked all her fingers, so she was relying on her spoon and the flimsy fabric of her trousers to keep her safe. Not ideal, but oh so useful. Her ring of swamp-colored powder lane, Rosalind stuck the empty spoon between her teeth and began to climb the golden chain. There were no shadows to disguise her now, and the guards were still shouting at her from below, so Rosalind prioritized speed over silence. The massive links of the chain made the climb fairly easy, and within moments, Rosalind was high enough above the glittering structure that she felt fairly sure that she would be safe from her little explosion. Fairly sure. Hanging on with one hand and taking the spoon in the other, she scooped into her next pocket with a shaking hand. Rosalind was normally as steady as stone. She'd killed people for a living for saint's sake, but the glimmer of the bright orange powder in the afternoon sun made sweat break out along her brow. And you mocked my spoon, Rosalind smirked. All right, just desserts, let's play magician. She tilted the spoon 
and let the powder pour down the length of the chain, every muscle in her body tightened in preparation for her next move. She waited for the loud bang to release the orrery so that she could let herself drop, grab the end of the chain, and swing to safety in one smooth and not at all life-threatening movement. But nothing happened. Gods and saints, are you kidding me? Rosalind growled and scooped into her pocket again. This time, she tossed the glowing orange dust down with some force. And the explosion that resulted was about five times stronger than she anticipated. There was no time to watch the guards below, but she could already hear the people's screams of surprise as the golden celestial orb tumbled toward the library's floor. It released from the chain with such force that Rosalind spared a second to be grateful she'd climbed as high as she did. Rosalind released her hold high above, slipping through the dust-filled air in a moment of weightlessness before she reached out and grabbed the end of the flailing chain. The broken link felt hot in her hands and her calluses tore as gravity caught up with Rosalind all at once. This was the momentum she needed to make it to the far wall, where one of those funny traveling platforms perched waiting for the next reader to take it up or down to their desired book. For the second time in as many moments, Rosalind released the chain, and now she fell toward the platform. She'd somewhat underestimated how far it was, so she caught herself on the edge. The force knocked the air from her lungs and may have cracked a rib. But any landing survived was a good one. In fact, she was experiencing the crystalline focus that she only felt when executing a plan like this, step by clever step. She scrambled up to standing, breathing hard and wiping some of the dust from her clothes. I can do more with a spoon than I can without one, Rosalind laughed. And then she was falling again, quickly. So quickly that years of practice and silence under all circumstances could not stop Rosalind from crying out in surprise. The platform was dropping so rapidly that there must be a force increasing the rate of its descent toward the marble floor. And all Rosalind could do was hang on and prepare to hit the ground. Hard. When the guards began combing through the library, Thea felt a wash of panic. Perhaps it was the remembered sensation of nearly bleeding out in prison. You didn't tell me that you were actually currently on the lamb. Thea grit her teeth at the way Byron emphasized the word lamb. She sighed. <sighs> it was implied. She grabbed Byron by the wrist and began gently leading him down the hall, keeping them out of sight of any commotion. He allowed her to lead him, but Thea could tell by the way he set his jaw that he was considering changing his mind about helping them. Byron let out a soft little groan, wiping his free hand across the top of his head in one definitive motion. She'd only seen Byron do this once, after he'd convinced himself he'd failed a practical exam on the gaseous form of truth serums. The motion ruined the neat wave he swooped into his oiled hair, and she knew that in a less stressed state, this would be absolutely unacceptable to the neatly groomed scholar. All right, Byron, began Thea in a way that she hoped was distracting. What is the most subtle way for us to head towards the heretical texts? This is an entirely new deal, Thea. There are guards in the... Building! He gestured to the end of the aisle and Thea reached out in a futile effort to stop him from attracting attention, but he kept his voice low as he continued. You're not supposed to begin a heist when the very people meant to catch you are already in here. I don't even know how I would get the texts for you now. There was an increase in shouting on the other side of their shelf. Thea could feel their time to make it to the books they needed dwindling by the second and saints be sure exiting the library would be a feat unto itself. Byron. She stopped walking and looked up into his dark eyes with as much gentle authority as she could muster. I can promise you, promise, that this is the last adventure life will ever offer you. 
If you do not join us now, you will spend the rest of your life working in a job that is beneath your talents. Always wondering what could have happened if you decided to do something exciting for once in your life. Thea's breathing was hard after her little speech. It felt very personal for her to say aloud. She added, Books are not meant to be locked away, Byron. She didn't have time to see how her speech landed. As Thea finished, a guard in shining uniform came around the corner, clearly searching for anyone left hiding among the stacks. Thea did not hesitate. She grabbed her friend on either side of his face and pulled him down toward her, twisting his body so that he blocked the guard from her view. Thea put her face as close to Byron's as she could possibly manage and breathlessly whispered, Please kiss me. Byron sputtered, and Thea thought she saw every thought in his head screech to a rough halt. Thea, I... uh, I I don't think this is the time... Thea grit her teeth and peered at the guard over the top of his shoulders. Please kiss me so the guard behind you does not see me and thinks we're just students. Still sputtering, Byron turned his head ever so slightly and stiffened when he saw the armored man. Thea gripped his arms as tightly as she could manage to keep him from sprinting away like a frightened rabbit. Hey, boy! The guard turned and shouted down the aisle. Byron turned his head and practically slammed his lips into Thea's. And just like that, they were kissing. For a split second, Thea closed her eyes and allowed her body to soften. She slowly guided his hands and hips so that he was covering as much of her body as possible, effectively sandwiching her between the bookshelves and his lanky body. Though her mind was focused very much on their survival, Thea thought, For someone who's clearly bad at kissing, he's done quite well under the circumstances. He smelled of a warm, musky cologne, and Byron had the very soft hands of a scholar, massive though they were. Standing here kissing him, she understood why so many Lacera students had their eye on him. But then, she opened her eyes to find Byron staring down at her, wide-eyed and unblinking, mouth outstretched and pressing against hers, completely unmoving. It was unsettling. The library's being evacuated! The guard called to them, still keeping the distance he would need to draw a sword if the situation escalated. Byron made as if to turn to the guard, but Thea held him tightly, manufacturing a gentle moan by way of response. The librarian pulled away. Oh, Saint Thea, be quiet and and shimmy your hips. Byron wasn't sure exactly what Thea meant with that direction, so he ended up wiggling his rear, not unlike a puppy. Thea bit her tongue. Hey, go back to your dormitories for this. The guard took a step forward, and this time Thea wasn't swift enough to stop her librarian companion. Sorry, sir. Byron's voice sounded strangely high when he turned around, waving limply at the man. Take your girlfriend and clear out. The guard tried to look around Byron's tall, lanky form, no doubt charged with checking everyone he came across to be sure that it wasn't the escaped women. Oh, no, we're just friends. Byron tried to laugh and ended up sort of curtsying to the man in deference. Thea hauled out and smacked Byron across the face so hard the young librarian actually saw stars. Just friends, Thea squawked. It would not do for this guard to pay her any attention. The lanky wizard, looking like he might cry while holding his reddening cheeks, sort of stooping from Thea's blow, was proving quite the distraction. Frankly, Thea would smack him again if she needed to to keep the guard busy. But the guard laughed and began walking away, wagging a finger at Byron. (laughs) Good luck, mate. (laughs) As soon as the man turned the corner... Thea yanked Byron up by the shoulder and pulled him toward the portion of the library that housed the heretical texts. All right, we'll keep the gods occupied while you run in and grab anything you find that you think could be potentially helpful. Byron's attention was divided between Thea's fast commands and tending to the minor swelling of his recently slapped cheek. You have the keys, don't you? The librarian simply nodded. Good. 
Thea took a deep breath and peered around the only shelf that remained between the pair and a vast room of swarming guards and literature. All right, Byron, you go and I'll cause a distraction. She hurried him on before the whiny man could change his mind. Byron was just passing when she snatched him back by the shoulder. She'd been preparing a gust of wind in her hands, so they were uncomfortably chilly on his back. But he hardly noticed as the orrery crashed to the ground in a whine of bending metal and gravity. Where once there was a golden wizard looking up at the heavens, now there were only broken spears and orbs that had fallen from above. Thea smirked. Rosalind definitely had style, that was for sure. Oh my god, that was over 200 years old, Byron said, covering his mouth with his hands. Closer to 300, actually. Thea couldn't resist. I think that was our distraction, so you should go. She nudged him toward the distant and dark corner that marked the collection of texts that were by appointment only, and to her surprise, he dashed away, moving unnoticed against the tide of people. She sighed in an effort to calm her breathing and looked out across the rotunda. It didn't seem as if anyone was seriously injured in the crash, thank goodness. She wasn't a particularly skilled healer. The guards were gathering around or picking up those who had jumped out of the way of the falling metal. Some were shouting commands and others were looking up at the distant ceiling that once housed the celestial sculpture. Thea had always liked the thing, but couldn't rightly say she didn't like it better on the ground, causing problems for their pursuers. Portions of the library were blocked off by massive golden bars and orbs that had fallen this way and that, and it looked as if some of the guards were stuck on the opposite side of the rotunda with no way back. Thea kept scanning the crowd for Captain Alaric. Perhaps she could just kill him now, with everyone so preoccupied. It wouldn't help their wanted status, but it would feel really, really good. She could feel the subtle breeze of her conjuring move through her fingers with the thought of sending him flying up to where the orrery once hung. Then, Thea heard a scream that made her turn, arms raised to prepare a spell before she even thought it through. Rosalind, without words, from any distance, anywhere, she would recognize the girl's voice. She ran out into the light of the rotunda, eyes scanning the room with panic. Rosalind had to be high up to have released the orrery. And then she saw it. Rosalind was on a distant platform, at least three stories up and falling fast. There was no way the assassin understood the mechanism that caused the platforms to rise and fall, or she would never have climbed up on one. Thea was running across the open room and would not stop even as guards began to shout and chase behind her. She knew only a wizard of Lacera could save Rosalind, but she had no idea which spell would do it. Dun dun dun! <laughs> Ooh, ending on a dramatic cliffhanger. I can't help myself. I love it. I love it. I gotta say, my favorite part of that entire chapter is is Byron, like in his panic, kind of curtsying in a half apology. <laughs> I get it. You wrote Byron. For me, as me, I get him, I see him, I connect with him. <laughs> I can imagine middle school you with your short hair and bangs kind of doing that move. Yes. I can imagine me now with long hair doing that. <laughs> the faces Tracy was making during the kiss between Thea and Byron were so funny. It was just the idea of him, like, her opening her eyes and him just staring wide-eyed. Like, that's so funny. It's, and oh, the poor baby. I love Byron so much. I know. I just love a Byron who gets asked to be kissed and then tries to let Thea down easy. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. We're actually in a life-threatening situation, but thank you. <laughs> that's so flattering, but I think we actually have other priorities right now. <laughs> Thank you so much for your kind offer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my people get back to your people. But right now, right now, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, they're still in the library, and in the library they shall remain. Hey, guys, this entire story is now only set in a library. <laughs> Listen, I love libraries. We could, I could do it. Don't tempt me. This reminds me of the Battle Royale that I ran mm-hmm. for patrons set in the library. That was fun. That was when Kaylee Bray was the librarian. Oh, she was so good. I love that character. I loved all of that. That was when Casey uh, played Karen the Barbarian. <laughs> it was technically Ka-Ren, but it was definitely oh, Karen. Yeah. It was Ka-Ren of Tarjay, actually, if I'm remembering it fully. I forgot that part. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy. Sweet beans. Okay, so I sent you art on Pinterest or from Pinterest recently that was just someone's character design that they had done that was so perfectly Thea to me. It was. It was so Thea in her Lacera school phase, like excited to become this noble magician. It was really cool. With these cute-as-heck glasses on. We've never given Thea glasses, and now I want to so bad. Yeah, it would be cute for her. Maybe we'll give her, like, reading glasses or something. Who knows? Maybe she'll do like you do and just wear the glasses just for the aesthetic so everyone knows she's smart. Okay, for starters, it's not just for the aesthetic. They're blue light blocking. And I don't know (laughs) if it's 100% placebo effect or if they actually block any blue light whatsoever but my eyes do feel better good then it's worth it right you know if i'm just tricking my brain even better that's the best so i think we did the thing we did the thing do you want to tell me something good i i guess because it's gonna be a hard act to follow after you go because i know you're gonna mention your vacation that's so cool i'm actually not really Yeah, I mean, my vacation was wonderful. I can talk about Portugal for days, but there's something else that I want to mention as my something good because I think everyone and their mother needs to enjoy this thing. Um, Hey, Rowan, hmm. tell me something good. My something good this week is, like, so nerdy podcastery. We hung up in my office these amazing black, like, light blocking i don't know whatever they're called curtains that are just so thick and mm-hmm. they cover two of the walls in my office and now it's so quiet in here it feels so official we does it feel like a cozy cave it does and they're this beautiful nice gray it makes my office feel very it makes me imagine that if i opened the curtains there would be like beautiful large windows and i might look mm-hmm. out upon you know a shimmering sea or a fantastical space station or something crazy yes yes so, yeah, it that's such a nerdy podcastery thing to do, but uh light blocking curtains turns out makes really great sound blocking. Yeah, I'll be doing that to my podcasting loft uh as soon as possible. Hey listeners, remember when Tracy used to record in a closet with a blanket over her head? Yeah, with a tiny little old old microphone on like a little oh, it was so bad. It was the the day that I got my new setup, my whole life and my back thanked me. We're so glamorous. <laughs> All right, Tracy, <laughs> tell me something good. Okay, my something good is not actually my trip to Portugal, which was amazing and wonderful and I could talk about forever. Um, it is instead a show. It's the show Our Flag Means Death. I Again, Rowan's laughing because I won't shut up about the show. It's so good. It's uh, Rice or Reese Darby. And Taika Waititi are the two main leads. And it's about the gentleman pirate Steed Bonnet and Blackbeard. I'm only laughing because I think in the last 48 hours, you might be the fifth person that has mentioned that show. And I finally just need to sit down and watch it. I'm always late to the parties. Listen, I watched the whole thing through twice. And it's so good. The first three episodes, delightful little workplace comedy it's fun it's cute it's great we love steve fourth episode when blackbeard comes in pops off game changer taika watiti as blackbeard is everything uh the show is just amazing with representation and i'm not going to spoil anything it's just a delightful workplace rom-com tv show about pirates workplace rom-com plus pirates is a great combo (laughs) yes (laughs) 
Yes, it's so good. It's on HBO. I I tell everyone, I'm like, go watch Our Flag Means Death. Just trust me. All right. Uh, homework assigned. Everyone join me in watching <laughs> this show. <laughs> we will not I spoil. I will watch it again with you. I will sit down. I will watch the show again. I really enjoyed it. Well, the last show that you told me to watch was Hell of a Boss, and I'm obsessed. I love Hell of a Boss. I am desperately waiting for that season one finale episode. Please. So in conclusion, Tracy gives good recommendations. I'm glad you're back. I missed you. I missed you too. I'm glad to be back. So Tracy left on vacation and like that day I got a flu that just kicked my whole behind. And I honestly think my body was like, no, Tracy, no more. We're done. Yeah, it could feel me flying away and your immune system traveling with me. <laughs> it was like, thanks for playing. We're not participating until Tracy comes back. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'll come back and bring you soup. <gasps> Little squonk. All right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember that stories grow with a telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our editor is Tyler Fetzik, our music is by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. <clears throat> I almost whacked myself in the face <laughs> with my spit shield. <laughs> We're so professional. It's like it's kind of intimidating. Like a little it's like a little intimidating even to like me how professional we are. <laughs>